has in this chapter. There are other uh, lists of gifts in other places in the New Testament. Um, that sort of clues us in that these lists are not exhaustive. They're more like illustrations of what happens when the Holy Spirit works in a believer to accomplish a task. And so uh, uh, we've been operating under the idea that uh, the gifts that are given to the church are given so that um, the Spirit would uh, edify the church, build the church up, and build up believers one uh, another. We come this morning looking at uh, teaching as a gift. There are some people who have a particular talent for teaching, but the gift of teaching is when the Holy Spirit enables you to convey the information of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, to another person so that they would be pointed to Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of the teaching ministry of the church, at least in our congregation here, takes place during the Sunday school hour. Um, it, we're not supposed to say Sunday school anymore. That's, that's for children. Uh, but in point of fact, uh, we have always had Sunday school for adults as well because we believe that the learning process begins at the cradle, it ends at the grave. Uh, it's a lifelong endeavor to be studying the scriptures, to be learning the truth of the gospel and going deeper and deeper into God's word. So a lot of what we do uh, takes place during the Sunday school hour. Churches didn't always have Sunday school. You know that, don't you? You go back 200 years, even 150 years or so. Um, churches did not have Sunday school. They did not have organized uh, periods of time in which uh, the, the Bible was being taught either to children or to adults. Uh, what happened is that in 1780, two men, one Robert Rakes and the other Thomas Stoke uh, in Gloucester, uh, decided that uh, they needed to do something for the poor children in the city. They were seeing that the children were not being taught, they were not being educated, largely because poor children had to go to work. At a very early age, they were out in the mills and the fields and in the mines, and they were earning and bringing home money and giving it to mom and dad. And it was a great system, but it couldn't last. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, uh, but, but the children were working, really, six days a week. And so these two gentlemen said, these kids need to know how to read, and they need to know how to write, or else they'll be stuck where they are the rest of their lives. And so they started teaching them teaching children how to read and how to write on Sunday. And because it was a school that was taking place on Sunday, they came up with a brilliant name, Sunday School. Exactly. And so the original purpose of Sunday School was to teach children to read and write. Now, the textbook was the Bible. When they learned to write, they were copying out verses of Scripture. The subject matter was Jesus Christ and was Christian doctrine, uh, but the motivating, the actual initiating, motivating uh, idea was to teach children uh, reading and writing. Now, this became very, very popular. It became what was known as the Sunday School Movement uh, in England. Thousands upon thousands of children uh, were involved in it. It crossed the Atlantic by 1790. Churches in the United States were holding Sunday schools to teach children to read and write from the Bible. Uh, and that really continued to be one of the primary ways that uh, poor children were able to learn uh, to read and write, to get an education. Uh, in England, in 1870, uh, an act was passed for public education, compulsory education for children. And it's at that point that children are now being educated um, by government schools, really. And uh, in the United States... It was a, a, a matter of state by state by state making uh, public education compulsory. 
But originally, the education of, of children, particularly poor children, took place on Sunday. That's where they learned to read and write. And uh, so as you drive your child to school someday, understand it started in the Christian tradition. It started in Christian churches to teaching children. Well, uh, what happened then was that the time spent um, in Sunday school that used to be just to learn to read and to write then began shifting over to other aspects and eventually migrated into teaching particularly the Bible, uh, the, the story of Christ to teach the gospel to children and that's how Sunday school came to be in, in American culture. That's why we have Sunday schools today. Although it's sort of a dying thing. It's not uh, uh, as popular. It's not as prevalent in churches. Uh, the big mega churches now do not have Sunday schools. Uh, most of the time they'll have what are called community groups or home groups or fellowship groups, something like that. Originally these small groups, by the way, were called cells. They were called cell groups. And as far as I can tell, that sort of traces back to Korea, uh, where there was a large church that got going, and because they didn't have property and building space, they started cell groups. And the reason they called it cell groups, um, well, Google will tell you it's because the cell is the smallest living part in the human body, and so these were the small parts of the body of Christ. Uh, that may be true. I suspect it more came from the organization of the Communist Party. Uh, which, um, does anybody know this? Communist parties, they would or always organize small group mark studies. No, um, but they, they would organize cell groups in each neighborhood and apartment buildings and so forth to keep an eye on their neighbors and so forth. Um, that has no spiritual application at all. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but the, the name now is to call it small groups or, or home groups or fellowship groups. And the idea is that, that adults get together in small groups and accountability and they learn and they study together. Uh, the problem being, what do you do with children? Well, we have uh, kid zone. Uh, on Sunday, we put them all in a big warehouse and we give them Bible study for an hour and that, or two hours or whatever, and that takes care of it. What do we do with the youth? Well, we put them in youth-a-rama, and they go to youth-a-rama on Sunday nights, and uh, they maybe get a Bible study if they want it, but otherwise, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're there. They're on church property, at least, as the way it happens. Our philosophy here is that we believe that education and learning the gospel, learning the scriptures, is a lifelong endeavor from birth to death, and that it's a, it's a progression through our entire lives. And that's why we have our small groups. If anybody ever asks you, does your church have small groups? You say, absolutely we do. It's just that our small groups meet at the same time in the same building. And we have small groups all over the building. Some of them are all adults. Some of them are children. Some of them are students. Some of them are, are preschoolers. But we have small groups throughout the building. And the reason we do this is so that when your child is in Sunday school, they know that mom and dad are in Sunday school. Maybe it's not playing out like that in your family, but this is our idea, okay? So uh, the, the, the child in Sunday school knows that mom and dad are in Sunday school, and they're getting a lesson. What is it? When I grow up, I too will be learning the Word of God. I too will still be in a small group. I still be learning about the Bible. It's a constant thing. As opposed to the way we do public education, what do kids do? You, know, you go through school, junior high school, you, you get through high school, and the thought is, you know, unless I go to college, once I'm out of here, I'm done. Right? I'm not going to get educated anymore. I'm not going to learn anymore. I'm not going to class anymore. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm getting to the real world. What we're teaching is you're never done. 
You're always in class. You're always studying. You're always learning. So that's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have it for all ages. That's why our small groups meet at one time so that the children can get their own quality small group at the same time. So that's how teaching, one of the ways that teaching is done uh, in our church. It's also done during the the discipleship training uh, time Sunday nights. It takes place Wednesdays with uh, the mission studies and the youth group um, and the Bible study and the chapel and things like that. So there's teaching going on in the church all the time. Uh, which means you need a lot of teachers to accomplish this teaching. And again, if we ask you to teach or if you are invited to teach, you can't say, oh, I can't do that because we already knew you couldn't do it. The fact is the Holy Spirit does it in us. The Holy Spirit does it through you. And so what we do is we supply the materials and a couple of suggestions and free copying services. And, uh, uh, but the Holy Spirit you know, does the rest. The Holy Spirit does the actual teaching is what we believe. So you can teach. Because the Holy Spirit in you can teach. And that's the gift of teaching. When asked at the appropriate moment, that's when teaching takes place. So that that just is a little contemporary context into what we're reading now in uh, the book of Romans chapter 12. Let's turn to that. And we'll start reading at verse 4 again to get a a running start into reading through verse 8. Romans 12, 4. For as in... One body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for how deep you are, that your love is deeper than than we can imagine, that your mercy towards us is deeper than all our sorrows and conflicts and trials and tribulations that your wisdom is greater than our questions, Father, that your strength is greater, so much greater and deeper than our weaknesses, Father, that your love for us is deeper, deeper still. And so, Father, as I thank you for how deep you are, I, I, I just praise you that when we come to the depths in our own lives, there's more to go in who you are to take care of us, and that your resources are never exhausted and they never come to the limits of your capacity to give us guidance, direction, and strength and encouragement. Father, I pray that we would keep this in mind and that in moments of challenge, we would turn to you quickly. We would turn to you first of all. We would turn to you to rely upon the depth of your grace for us, that in all that we say and all that we do, we would constantly be living in faith, trusting you for all things. Father, thank you for the depth of your grace, your love, your mercy. Thank you for the depth of your beauty. I thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Of course, oftentimes you, someone say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. And Jesus was, is, forevermore shall be <laughs> great teacher. Uh, but, you know, if somebody says that to you, Jesus is a great teacher, was a great teacher. Just ask them, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is, what do you mean? (laughs) 
What do you mean? Jesus is a great teacher. Do you mean that he had really great techniques? That he was able to uh, bring pupils and students along with him? That he was able to present a message that they could understand? That he was able to take the complex and make it simple? Uh, What do you mean when you say he was a great teacher? That he was just really good at it? Or do you mean there was something to his content of his teaching that was good and great? Because... That will sort of determine what the next part of our conversation is going to be. Because if all you say is, well, Jesus had really great teaching techniques, then that's really nice, but it doesn't matter. But if he's a great teacher, because what he teaches is profound, what he teaches is true, what he teaches is necessary, then we have to deal with it. Then we have to do something with it. What I want to say to you this morning is that Jesus is a great teacher because of how he teaches and because of what he teaches and most of all because of who he teaches. See, Jesus was called a teacher in his own ministry. Um, When uh, uh, Nicodemus, for example, came to Jesus, he said, good teacher, remember that? Good teacher, for no one can do what you do unless he's sent from God. Good teacher, asked him a question. Uh, Other people came to him, asked him uh, if he was a teacher, or called him teacher. Uh, and, and, And in fact, after the resurrection, on that first resurrection morning, after Mary had gone to the tomb, the tomb was empty, and uh, she didn't know where he was. She presumed somebody was taking the body. This this guy shows up, she thinks to herself, "This, this must be the gardener. So she goes up to him, sir, I come to find my Lord. I can't find him. You've taken the body. Where did you put the body? I want to go and minister to the body of, of Jesus. And at that point, the, the so-called gardener, who's actually Jesus, says to Mary, he says, you remember this, don't you? He just says her name. He says, Mary. She recognizes who it is. And do you know what the next thing out of her mouth is? Rabboni. Rabboni, which means my rabbi. My teacher. Rabbi means teacher. In other words, the very first thing said to Jesus after the resurrection by one of us types is my teacher. And then after the the ascension, when Jesus had gone into heaven and Peter, uh, you know, some days later with the uh, other apostles, and he goes and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. When he comes to the end of the sermon, some 3,000 people are saved. And the very next verse says, and they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. What were the apostles teaching? They were teaching Christ. And so the teaching ministry was very important from the very beginning. The teaching ministry is encapsulated in who Jesus is. I mean, this was was so vital. It shows up really heavily after the resurrection. I want you to turn with me to to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to read about um, not all of it, but parts of it. The story of two men who are on the road to Emmaus. doesn't matter where Emmaus is. You just need to know they're going there. They're on the road to Emmaus. It's two people. They were disciples of Jesus. They had followed Jesus, listened to him, and, and, and had witnessed all the miracles. They had known about the crucifixion. At this point, they've heard about the resurrection, but they haven't experienced anything to confirm it. And so they're on the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking along, a third figure comes up to walk with them. It happens to be Jesus. Now, they don't recognize him as Jesus for various reasons. We don't can't really pin it down, but I suspect the biggest reason is 
Because of the crucifixion, they had already taken Jesus out of the category of possibilities of who this stranger could be. Jesus was dead. He'd been crucified. Some people are talking about the resurrection. Well, that's poetry. That's, that's hyperbole. That's something. It's anything but real. And this stranger comes along. He can't be Jesus. Jesus is dead. So as they're walking along, Jesus comes up to them and he says, well, what are you talking about? What's going on, guys? Which is, by the way, a really good teaching technique. <laughs> Find out where your audience is, where your, where your, your students are. Then he says, you know, what, what are you doing? And they say to him, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem? There's this guy named Jesus. And he's a man of God and he worked miracles and he came, came into the city. But they crucified him. They crucified him. We thought he was Messiah, but all our dreams are dashed and gone. They crucified him. But now we're hearing stories. Some women have said they went to the grave, the grave was empty. They're saying he's risen. And there's even some of the apostles, and they're saying that he's risen. They're saying they've seen. We don't know what to make of this. Now, at this point, at this point, the story should go like this. And Jesus said, (laughs) ta-da. I mean, really, Jesus should have said, didn't you read my name tag, Jesus Messiah? You haven't seen that? I mean, all he had to say was, guys, look, here it is. That's confirmation. Oh, wow, that's really great. Let's throw a party. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just flat out say, here I am. Isn't this amazing? Here's what happens. Look at Luke chapter 24. We'll go to uh, verse 25. And Jesus said to them, now understand, they're walking along. No idea who it is. They're trying to figure out what's happened to Jesus. And Jesus is talking to them. Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. That, that should have been their first clue. I mean, how many times did Jesus say to his disciples, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. I mean, one of his favorite um, uh, uh, sort of pet names for his disciples was uh, oligopistoi, which means, uh, Oh, ye of little faith. Uh, is, is what he used to call them. That was sort of his, his loving little term of endearment for him. So he says to them, you know, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. They shouldn't believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? How many times had he told them that? How many times had he told his disciples, This is what's supposed to happen. No wonder he calls them slow to believe. But then look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He whipped out his iPhone and turned to the Bible app and he starts going through the whole thing and just, you know, flipping through this. He says, you see this? Talking about Messiah. See this? Talking about Messiah. See this? Talking about Messiah. See this? Crucifixion. See this? Resurrection. Don't you... Can't you see all this? In other words, he held a Bible study for them. They didn't know who he was. And Jesus' answer for that was, turn to the scripture and find Jesus there. So he's doing a Bible study for them right after the resurrection. He's teaching them. And so they go on to the village where they're going to stay. Jesus says, well, I've got to keep going. No, 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 no. Have dinner with us. We'll, 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 we'll pile around. It'd be nice to hang out together. So they decide to have dinner together. And as the bread is served, Jesus takes the bread and he looks into heaven and he gives thanks for the bread. And these guys said, where have we heard this prayer before? They look around because they figured there might be, what, four or 5,000 people with them. Uh, they're not sure. But as he prays to his Father in heaven, They see the relationship there that they had seen all along. 
And it says their eyes were open. Let, let's look at that. Where is it? Uh, it's in here somewhere. Verse, uh, yeah, 31. He was at table with them, took the blessed bread, and broke the dip. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanishes from their sight. Now, why didn't Jesus just do that to start with? You know, as I was looking at it, I've read this story a thousand times, but as I looked at it this week, that's the first time I ever wondered, why didn't he just tell them who he was? Why did he have to do a Bible study first? They needed the Scripture to put what happened into context. Just left to ourselves, we take the amazing events of Easter and we just go crazy with it. We turn it into all kinds of stories about, well, when you're doubting out, you can be raised up. Oh, when, when life is bad, there's a resurrection coming. Look at the butterflies, you know. And if you leave it to us, we'll take the resurrection and we'll turn it into some kind of thing about bunnies. <laughs> but you ground it in Scripture. You ground it in the Bible. You ground it in what God has said about it. Then you start to understand what has happened. This isn't just some amazing trick. This happens to be the, the raising from the dead so that we too might live resurrection of Jesus. And so he gives them a Bible study. He teaches them the scriptures so they can understand who he is and what has gone on there. And it doesn't stop. So these guys, and they go tell the other disciples, the disciples are, are, are together uh, again, and Jesus appears to them. And they have, you know, a little lunch together, a little meal together. And look on down. We're still Luke um, 24. Look at verse uh, 44. And after they ate together, then Jesus says this. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written. And then he talks about himself from scripture. What did Jesus do after the resurrection? He held Bible studies for his disciples. He grounded them in the Word of God so they could understand what they had seen and what had happened. See, whenever Jesus is proclaimed, he must be proclaimed according to the Word of God, grounded in the Scriptures. Jesus is a great teacher because he teaches who he is from the Word of God. The teaching of the church has got to be teaching of Jesus from the Word of God. That's the teaching ministry of the church. You know, and the disciples went crazy with this in a good way. I mean, this is just a fantastic kind of thing to them. And they went out and they just started teaching from the scriptures all day long. This is the Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the one who, who is coming. This is our Savior. This Jesus is Messiah. They kept teaching that, but they taught it from the Word of God. So much so, so faithful to the scriptures were they, that when they went to oh, some out-of-the-way out place called, what, Berea. Berea there in Achaia. Um, it's not in Achaia, it's up in, uh, but Berea in Messina. Um when they talked to the Jews there in Berea and said, this is who the Messiah is, it says the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. They went back to the scriptures to study the word of God. So when Jesus taught, he was a great teacher because of what he taught, whom he taught. He taught himself from the scriptures. He, 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 he taught people to come to him from the word of God. 
See, the disciples knew Jesus as a teacher. And oh, what a, what a beautiful thing to have heard Jesus talk. Not, not just the lilt of his voice, although I would love to hear the cadence of his speech. But when Jesus spoke and when he taught, your heart would be moved because this Jesus taught with authority. He didn't talk like the rabbis. The scripture says that after he got through with the Sermon on the Mount, the people said, we're amazed at this. The people were just amazed because he taught with authority and not as their rabbis, not as their teachers. See, at that time, if you were a rabbi, what you did was you quoted other rabbis. You've got a question? Well, here's the answer. Rabbi Hillel says, but Rabbi Shammai says, but Rabbi Gamaliel says. And you would just quote other people. It was like a term paper with nothing but footnotes in it. But Jesus didn't footnote anybody. He didn't quote anybody else. He didn't cite other opinions. He didn't bring forth contrasting possibilities. He proclaimed with authority. He said, you know, you've heard it said you, you don't kill anybody. I'm telling you, don't even hate them. You've heard it said don't, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even lust after people. You've heard it, heard it said don't swear. I'm telling you, just let your yes be yes, your no, no, and leave it at that. See, Jesus went to the heart of the matter. He went to the root of the matter. He went down deep into the purpose of the commandments. And when he taught, he taught with authority. And that authority came from who he is. Who he is. That's why the only authority we have to teach around here is Jesus Christ. The authority doesn't come because somebody has a degree. You go to seminary, you get a degree. What does that mean? It means you've got student loan. That's about it. Go you get a PhD, you know what that means? That just means you have a union card. But you study Christ, and what does that mean? It means you've grown closer to the Savior. Our authority is Jesus Christ. And oh, what a joy it would have been to hear him teach. He taught with authority, and he taught with a focus. You know, sometimes people tried to get Jesus off track when he was teaching. One time he was teaching the people, and a guy in the back of the crowd yelled out, you know, said, Jesus, tell my brother to settle accounts with me. Give me my inheritance. And, and he was having a squabble with his brother, evidently, about who got what after mom and dad were gone and all this other business. And he was saying, you know, Jesus, you know, settle this for me. And Jesus said, look, I didn't come for that. And people kept trying to get him off track, ask him questions, challenge him, test him. And he never once let them get him off track because he taught with a focus and his focus was on the glory of his father. In the last day before his arrest and crucifixion, in, that, in those evening hours after Judas had gone out from them, he, he, he taught the disciples. It's there in John uh, chapters, you know, and you start in, in, in 14, 15, 16, 17. And you read what Jesus taught his disciples and basically had three subjects in those chapters. He talked about the glory of the father and the glory of the son. And he talked about the relationship of the glory of God the Father being manifest in God the Son and how the glory of the Father was being seen in the Son and how the Son was pointing us to the glory of the Father. And then Jesus talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit would come and teach the disciples truth. The Holy Spirit would come, remind them of the things that Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit would come and apply what Jesus had said to bring about conviction and to bring about a a judgment. In other words, Jesus spent the last night teaching his disciples about the Trinity, the glory of the Father through the glory of the Son with the glorious promise of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was teaching, and he didn't allow his focus to be taken off anything other than the glory of the Father. You know, we live in a world today, in a culture, society today, in which more and more it's becoming fashionable to teach sermons that are practical, sermons that you can use. 
sermons that will not intrude upon you, but will simply help you along life's way, that will make you better, that will make you happier, that will give you a positive outlook. Folks, I hope my sermons help you live better and give you a positive outlook, yada, yada, yada. That's Hebrew for etc. <laughs> but if you don't get Jesus, if you're not pointed to the glory of the Father, it's nothing but a facade. It's nothing but a shallow veneer, a thin veneer placed over the deep wounds that lead to death. I'm telling you, you need Jesus. And we need that focus on Jesus Christ. We need to have a focus that whenever we get together, he is exalted. We are led to the throne of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's got to be what happens. Jesus taught with focus. And our teaching has got to be with focus. Oh, it's wonderful to listen to Jesus teach because you never knew when he would teach. He taught wherever he was. He taught in all kinds of situations. He taught in the synagogues. He'd get up and he'd start preaching. He'd read them from the book of Isaiah. He says, you know, by the way, this is talking about me. And his hometown folks were saying, no, I don't see it. You know, we knew this as a kid. But even if they rejected, he kept it focused. He taught in the synagogues. He taught on the mountainsides. That's why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. He taught on the plains when Luke is Sermon on the Plain. He taught in the villages. He'd go down the streets and somebody would call out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he'd stop and he'd heal that person and he'd use it as a way to teach about the power of God's kingdom in their midst, in the person of Jesus Christ. He would teach um, in, in, the, in the cities the last week of his ministry. He taught in the temple itself. And that really irritated the leaders. He taught wherever he was. If he was walking along and he saw a farmer sowing in the field, he says, guys, 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 look at this, look at this. I want you to know, the kingdom of God is like a sower who went forth to sow. And he told the parable of the sower. He would be walking along and someone would say, hey, Jesus, bless my little baby. And Jesus said, guys, guys, come here. I want you to see. Look, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. He kept teaching wherever he was. He taught in all kinds of places at all times. And the great thing about listening to the teaching of Jesus was it was constant. It was constant. And you had to listen because you never knew the next time he was going to bring you to the truth of God's word. Jesus was a great teacher and all to listen to him because he was, he was wonderful in that way. But to listen to Jesus teach because he taught with compassion. Do you remember the verse that says he looked upon the people and his heart was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd? I mean, that's really beautiful King James English. In the Greek, the picture is more like he saw the people and his gut tore into him. Uh, The Greek word there, if you did it in Latin, you would say his viscera. Um, He had a gut-level reaction when he saw the people because they were wandering like sheep and a shepherd. But do you know the next line in that verse? He was moved with compassion because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them. His compassion moved him to teach them. After he taught them, then he multiplies the loaves and the fish and he fed them. But first he taught them. His teaching was to meet their deepest need, their real need. They thought their need was for lunch. They didn't know their need was for living bread and living water. They just didn't know that. And so he taught out of compassion for them. There was a time when he was in the synagogue and he was teaching the people. And there was a man there with a withered hand. And he'd been there his whole life with a withered hand. And so Jesus brought him forward and he said, look guys. You think it's okay to heal on the Sabbath? And of course they said, well, no, probably not. You can heal him tomorrow. And all you got to say, Jesus, is God has the power to heal. And that'd be great. And you can heal him tomorrow. 
You know, we'll take an IOU on this one. But Jesus wouldn't let the grace of God wait. Aren't you glad he doesn't let the grace of God wait? But Jesus wouldn't let it wait. And so he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he was healed. And Jesus taught the people out of that compassion for this man, the great compassion of God for us. Jesus taught with compassion. Folks, we need to understand that the teaching ministry has got to be one of compassion. You see, when Jesus was teaching or dealing with someone who was a, a, a broken sinner, someone who was just, just absolutely in the dust and in the dirt of life and was absolutely crushed, Jesus dealt with them as gently as a lamb. You remember the time the woman taken adultery was thrown down in front of him. Now, Jesus dealt with sinners all the time. I kind of feel like everybody he knew was a sinner. But, uh, but this woman was put down. And, and she was not just a sinner. She was wearing the label, the scarlet A on, on, on her. And, and, and the headlight, the spotlights were coming down. They were shining on her. And there were arrows, sinner, sinner, sinner. And everybody knew she was a sinner. And you remember what he did. First he drove off the self-righteous. And then he said, look, who's going to condemn you? He says, I'm not. Come on, get up. Sin no more. He dealt gently with the sinner. But when he came to the self-righteous, when he came to those who thought they were already good enough, they've already, God, owed them something. When he dealt with the self-righteous, he was hard as nails. He said things like, hypocrite. Yeah, you hypocrites. Who do you think you are? He was constantly calling the Pharisees and the Sadducees to task. This wasn't because he had it in for Pharisees and Sadducees. It's because that's where you found people who were so self-righteous, the Word of God couldn't get through their religiosity. Jesus spoke and taught with compassion, particularly when you're wounded and broken. Folks, the the teaching ministry of the church is to confront those who are complacent in their self-righteousness with the judgment and the wrath of God and to confront those who feel broken and unworthy with the unmitigated grace and mercy of God. Jesus taught with compassion. And oh, to hear him teach because Jesus taught deeply. He taught with depth. He could take the complex and make it simple enough for people like me to understand. He could take what was an eternal truth about an eternal God living in the eternity of heaven and he could make that accessible to me just by talking about a father who loves me and cares for me and picks up little birds and knows the hairs of my head and all those things. He could make the complex simple. But he never left it there. He always taught the depth of who God is. He talked about the glory of God. And he talked about the the way in which God's will and God's presence, God's power and grace just infused every area of life, that there was nothing immune to where God would take you and where where he would lead you. He was so deep that he could keep the finest minds occupied. And by the way, that started very early. You know, you have the, 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 the story, the Christmas story in the Gospels, and then you had that one little story in Luke about his childhood. You know, what we learn about his childhood First, we learned Mary and Joseph couldn't keep up with him. But the other, the other thing we learned is that he was in his father's house. What was he doing? He was talking to the other teachers, the intellectuals, and they were amazed at what he was saying. So even at age 12, he was, he was just way beyond them intellectually. But when they would come and when they would listen, their minds would be challenged. 
There's one story that says he was in a home and he was talking and it says he was talking to the Pharisees. These were the guys who really loved the law and they studied the law and the lawyers, they like to apply the law. So he's talking to the intellectual giants of his culture. He's talking to the Pharisees and to the lawyers. And while he's teaching them these deep things, the the roof is is torn away and there's four guys up there and they lower their buddy down on on the ground and their buddy is a paralytic. And everybody's looking for this and Jesus goes to the man. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Now his friends up top didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, he's healed. The intellectuals didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, well, let me give you a discourse on why this man is afflicted as he is as we deal with the problem of evil and how there can be suffering with an all-just and wise God in the universe. They didn't want to hear that. That's what they wanted to hear. Just that way, they wanted to hear it. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the intellectual said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to tease this out, Jesus, because only God can forgive sins. You do know that, don't you, Jesus? <laughs> I, can, I can just, Jesus say, got him. He says, yeah, do the math, guys. Only God forgives sins. I forgave sins. Ergo, I am. Fill in the blank. And he taught the deepest truth about who he is. By forgiving this man's sins. He taught deeply. One of the great things, the great things about the gospel is that no matter how far you go into it, there's always more. No matter how deep you go into it, it's always deeper still. No matter how much study you've done, there's more to study. No matter how many answers you've gotten, there are yet more answers to be learned. The gospel is deep and challenging and wondrous and beautiful. And you were able to understand it at all levels. But Jesus taught the deep, deep truths of who God is. Oh, to listen to the teaching of Jesus because he relied upon the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when he was baptized, the Spirit came down like a dove and rested upon him. God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's not like Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before that. It's simply the people didn't know it. And so in this action, at his baptism, God said, I want, I want the people to know, I want them to see that you're operating, you're operating by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit in his teaching. His was a spirit-filled ministry. And that's why when we come to the book of Romans and Paul talks about what happens when the Spirit is, is working in, in the life and the body of the church, the Spirit will do this kind of teaching. Oh, we won't be able to teach like Jesus, but we can teach Jesus and we can teach in a way that reflects his authority and his grace and his depth and his compassion. See, and that's, that's, that's what we're called to in the teaching ministry of the church. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would hear Jesus teaching you. That maybe it would be in, um, in a Sunday school class, in a small group Bible study. It might be, uh, you know, I pray in the sermons that the Holy Spirit would speak to you beyond what any person is saying. Would just bring into line where your life is and what the scripture is saying and show you how that connects up to your life. And would just teach you these things so that you would just come to know Jesus more and more. Because the purpose of the teaching of Christ was to lead us to the glory of the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of teaching in our church is to lead people to the glory of God. To the glory of God. And that's why my challenge for you this week is twofold. I gave you a twofold challenge last week. I hope you did those things. But 
Uh, this week, I, I just want to challenge you, first of all, to learn something. Let God teach you something this week. And if that means just sitting down, opening the Bible and saying, Lord, I'm going to keep reading this until you show me something. Now, whatever it is, just show me something and just read until you learn something. I just want you to learn something and then give God praise, honor, and glory for it. But I also want to challenge you maybe to teach something. And that teaching comes in all kinds of ways. It can be official teaching where you have title teacher and you have students and you sit down and you're actually teaching them. That, and that's good. But a lot of the teaching we're called to do is unofficial teaching. It's sort of like drive-by teaching. It's the time when your coworker comes up to you and says, hey, look. Uh, I see what you're going through, and I don't know how you're doing it. Can you tell me how you're doing that? And you have an opportunity to teach them about the grace of God and who, who Christ is and how the Holy Spirit works. Or might be somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'm, I'm going through some things in my life. What, what does your, your, your faith say about that? And you can teach that person. might be a small child comes up to you and just says something as silly as, why can't I have the snack during church? And you get to tell them about the body and the blood of Jesus and what it means. And why we observe the Lord's Supper. I just want you to be open to an opportunity to teach somebody. You say, well, what do I know? You don't need to know anything. The Holy Spirit knows. Okay? All you've got to be is available for the Holy Spirit to work and to teach through you. So those two things I'd like to invite you to do. To learn something and to be taught something this week. And the reason that's important, the reason that's important, it's not just so you'll be smarter. Although you will be. You know, it, it's not so you have more facts in your head so you can win at Bible trivia. The reason for this is so that you will be closer and closer to Jesus. It's sort of what he said. Let, let me give that, that to you, what he said this, uh, at one time. You'll recognize this. Jesus said to them, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does he do that? Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. And learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray again. Gracious Father, we're just so thankful that we're not saved by the amount of our knowledge, but simply by your grace. We're not saved by the facts that we know, but by the reality of Christ. We're not saved because we're able to articulate it, but saved because you have brought to us salvation through your Son on the cross. But Father, what a joy it is when you use us. The joy it is when your Holy Spirit fills us. What a joy it is when your Holy Spirit works in our lives in such a way as to share Jesus with others. And so, Father, again, I pray this morning for the teaching ministry of your spirit through the church, through one another, through the scriptures especially, Father, that we would all learn of him and thereby find rest for our souls. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.